0: Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. Take out your bulletin, and specifically take out the, the little tract that we put in your bulletin. So one of the things that, um, that, that I've really become c- convicted of here here lately is we talk a lot about um, sharing the gospel and the importance of that, and that, that's right and true. Um, but it, it's occurred to me that, that I've not been diligent in, in giving you tools or giving you training to share the gospel. Now we can do a six-week gospel training session. In fact, uh, Chuck Moon and I talked about about him leading a, a, a Sunday school class specifically focused on that, and that's something we're going to look at this fall. But and then those, things, those things are right and good. There's nothing wrong with, with taking a long term and, and really walking through a, a, a plan to share your faith. But I think for the most part, a lot of us can, can learn to do this very simply. Um, now, attract is not the be-all, end-all. Okay? Now, over the next uh, few months, every, once a month, I'm going to give you a new tool. Now, th- this is not... Uh, here's what I don't want you to do. Okay. Don't go to lunch today and leave this, especially not in place of a tip for your waitress, okay? Okay? Now, I'm not saying that's not valid to do, but if you're going to do it, like, attach a $20 bill to it as a tip, all right? Don't, don't just, or, or leave a generous tip with this. Don't just leave this. But, but one of the things that I think we can do is take five minutes or so once a month and simply walk through a, a gospel presentation, this is one that LifeWay put out, that the North American Mission Board put out um, a few years ago, using three circles. You can, obviously they have hard copies of this. They also have a three circles app you can download and swipe through that'll have all the verses listed and, and everything like that. Uh, this is a really simple gospel presentation. You can even draw on a napkin. In fact, that's the way it was developed, was as, as a gospel presentation where you can sit down with somebody with a Bible and... A piece of paper or a napkin and, and walk them through the gospel. And so I want to take just five minutes really quickly and walk through the gospel here. And then we'll talk about what your index card is for. So, so you can set that aside for now, but have, have it ready because we're going uh, to look at it in just a second. So uh, if you open up on the, on the very front uh, cover of, of this, it explains the reality of the world we live in, that we live in a broken world. Now, Here's why that's important. As you go to the store, as you go to work, as you go to school, you're going to encounter people who are experiencing the reality of the brokenness of our world. Okay? That's one of the things that I think is great about a simple gospel, gospel conversation is that the, the reality of the broken world is going to give you opportunities to share about our God who came to heal brokenness, okay? And look, I've never met anybody who wouldn't say there's something wrong with our world. It's why we, uh, if, if the person that we didn't vote for is in office, it's why we look forward to the, next four, to, to the next election, right? Because we can fix the brokenness. It's why we, it's as simple as why we have to go to the grocery store and load up on groceries every week to refuel our body, because if not, our bodies break down. We experience this all over the place, okay? So we live in a broken world. It's seen in suffering, violence, poverty, pain, and death around us. And brokenness leads us to search for a way to make life work. If if we live in a broken world, then why on earth were we here, and how can we fix it? So if you turn the next page, we're going to look at God's design, Because understanding the reality of the gospel doesn't start with our brokenness necessarily. It starts with the way God designed things. And God did not design our world to be broken. The Bible tells us that God originally planned a world that worked perfectly, where everything and everyone fit together in harmony. In fact, the end of Genesis, Genesis Genesis chapter 1 says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God's design in the beginning, God's plan was perfect. But it didn't stay that way. Because if you turn the next page, sin entered the world. God's plan doesn't work when we ignore his design, when we insist on doing things our own way. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. And if you turn the next page, this sin leads to brokenness. So that's the that's the answer to why the world is broken, because that's where sin leads us, is to brokenness. We see this all around us. Now if if you look at, at brokenness there are little squigglies that, that go up. What those represent here are the different ways that people try to feel the brokenness in their lives. Maybe it's with something destructive like drugs and alcohol. Maybe it's with good things that God's given to us as gifts, but when we try to make them more than what they were designed to be, they become harmful to us. This can even be things like our family, things like jobs, thinking this is, I I know I'll I'll have my true identity once I get married and the spouse will fulfill me in a way that, that I haven't been yet. Well, that, that didn't work for us, so I know we'll have kids, and kids will fix all the problems that we have. They'll definitely not create any more problems. They'll fix everything that we... Oh, I know, I just need to get that next promotion, and that'll fix everything. Or I just need a new job. Or none of that's worked, so I just need a new spouse, and that'll fix everything. We look for answers in places that answers were never meant to be. And that leads us to experience this brokenness on an even deeper level. In fact, the way Romans describes it, it says that, that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served something created instead of the Creator. Now if we stopped here, that's like real that's crummy news, right? I mean that's 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 not fun at all. But the good news is that that God's made a way for us. Turn to the next page, let's say the gospel. God's made a way for our brokenness to be Restored in sending His own Son. To die the death, as we saw a while ago, the wages of sin is death, to die the death that we deserved. John 3.16, the Bible says, for God loved the world in this way, that He gave His one and only Son. So how do we get to the Gospel? How do we experience this new reality? How, how do we... Um, how do we get to experience this fix that God has sent for us? The next page, that explains that We have to repent, turn away from our sin, and believe in God's son, Jesus. Believe that he came to earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a perfect death on our behalf, that he rose, and that one day he's coming again, just as we sang a moment ago. Romans 10.9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then here's the beautiful part. Of it, that if you turn one more page, when, when we repent of our sins, when we believe in Christ Jesus, he restores our relationship to him. And we're able to recover and pursue his original design for our world and for our lives. See, the gospel, and I think this is important, the gospel isn't just that I get to go live with Jesus forever, by and by, after I die. I mean, that's true, but if you focus on that, you're missing one of the realities of the gospel that we get to experience now. The gospel allows us to recover and pursue God's design in our own lives right now. Not perfectly perfectly. Because can I tell you something, even as a believer? Now, now, somebody can go through this, trust in the gospel, trust in Christ's sacrifice, make Jesus Lord and Savior, and and, and experience this. We would say they move from death to life. But believer, you're going to experience this in your own life, this this pattern. Where you're going to continue to sin, and, and sin is going to be brokenness. The answer for us as believers is still the gospel. I've said this before, we never, there is nothing beyond the gospel for the believer. We'll talk about that here in just a second when we talk about um, some of the false teaching that was invading Ephesus. There is nothing beyond the gospel, but hear me, you will never plumb the depths of the gospel in this life. So on the next page... It's a simple prayer. There's, there's no silver bullet prayer that's going to move somebody from death to life. That happens as they place their faith and trust in Christ. Again, this prayer is a tool to help them have the words to know what they're doing. To simply say, have them pray, my life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. So God, forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways, put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all and I will follow him. And then on the next page, it gives even some some next steps. Where where do they go from there? Teach them, explain to them briefly what it means to pray about the importance of the local church, the importance of the Bible, and the importance of telling others as well. What would happen if over the next week, You shared this reality with one person. You have the opportunity. We've been given the greatest gift imaginable in the gospel. We have the answer for life's problems. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it with somebody. So that's where the index card comes in. I don't want you to list every single lost person you know. What we're looking for here is one name. One name. One person. Whom you know that doesn't know Jesus and who needs to hear the gospel message. So what I'm going to ask you to do is, on this index card, write that one name down. And then during the invitation, there's a little basket right up here at the altar. During the invitation, I'm going to invite you to come down and place the name of your one person in the basket. And every week, we're going to pray over the names in that basket. Maybe you share the gospel with them this week, and and, and, and they, they listen, but they're not really interested. You know what you do? We're going to keep praying for them in here. And as you have the opportunity, I want you to keep sharing. And let's see what happens. Let's take God at His Word and tell Him and, and trust Him that when we share the gospel, He moves men, women, and children from death to life as only He can do. Now, take your Bibles. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We finish up chapter 1 this morning. As Paul's going to continue to talk to God to Timothy about, guess what? The gospel. The importance of the gospel in Timothy's life and in the life of the church. So once you're there, once you're to 1 Timothy, let's stand together and read the word the Lord's given to us this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. where word of the Lord says this. Timothy, my son... I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Father, we pray you will speak to us in these next few moments. As we talk about the importance of the gospel, not getting distracted by other things, that, that, that even through this message, you will bring someone to our minds and we know needs to hear the gospel. Help us to understand this morning how we can stay focused on something that is worth fighting for. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a seat. I've not made any secret that I'm a big baseball fan. Not only that, I'm a, I'm a Texas Rangers fan, which means I, I live um, very frustrated a lot of the time. So, um, but, but this last week marked the 25th anniversary of one of the defining moments in Texas Rangers baseball. 25 years ago, maybe you've seen the video, uh, a young... Uh, guy for the uh, Chicago White Sox named Robin Ventura got hit in the back by a Nolan Ryan fastball. And, and young Ventura, in perhaps a moment of anger and rage, decided it would be a good idea to charge the mound on 44-year-old Nolan Ryan. If you've not seen the video, uh, Nolan Ryan puts him in a headlock and proceeds to pummel uh, Robin Ventura into a bloody pulp. One of the greatest moments in... It's kind of, right, I know no, it's messed up. It's a, it's a weird sermon illustration. So just, just, just go with me here, okay? This is going somewhere, I promise. But also, it's a great moment as a Texas Rangers fan. <laughs> um, in fact, before every Rangers game, they still show this clip 25 years later uh, with Don't Mess With Texas uh, around it, all right? So it's, it's a Texas thing. It's a great, great sense of pride. Now, now listen, if we're being honest... Getting hit in the back with a baseball is probably in the grand scheme of things not something we'd be willing to fight over, okay? And even now, I mean, like, it's not like Nolan Ryan and Robin Ventura every time they see each other like, still uh, want to go at it. For one thing, Robin learned his lesson. But it's um, that's, that's a great moment. It's, it's, a, it's a weird sense of Texas pride. Um, but, but it's silly. Now I say that to, to point out that Not everything is worth fighting for. Now, our culture these days is probably going to disagree with that statement, right? Where every little thing is a hill to die on. My personal preference about whatever. The, the, maybe you've been in churches where uh, the color of the carpet turned out to be an issue, some were willing, a hill some were willing to die on. Can I tell you that the older I've gotten, I've learned that there are fewer and fewer hills that I'm willing to die on. Especially, I learned this as a pastor, and it took me a little while uh, through through my years in ministry. There are several hills I'd be willing to die on: an adherence to God's word, the expectation of of uh, as a rule expository preaching, preaching through books of the Bible. That's that's something in my ministry that if I had a church that, that, that was ever interested and said, hey, that's not something we, we want, that, that's a deal breaker for me. But, but can I tell you, there's a whole lot of things that, that I would like to see happen in, in, in local churches that, that I don't think are hills to die on, and certainly not right now. In fact, I've seen churches that have blown up, not in the good way, because pastors come in and everything is a hill to die on it right now. We've got to change this right now. But let me tell you something that's always worth fighting for in the life of a church and in the life of a believer. And it's this very thing that we talked about a while ago. It's the very thing that, that Paul tells Timothy about in our passage this morning. The gospel is worth fighting for in our lives and in our churches. Now, I just gave you your outline. Don't, don't tune me out now, okay? <laughs> we must fight for the gospel in our lives. We have to fight for the gospel in our churches. And there's a reason that we're going to see this morning why we've got to fight for it. Paul begins in, in verse 18 addressing Timothy personally. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Now Paul uses some words here that, that we don't use, we don't throw out a whole lot in, in contemporary uh, evangelicalism. He talks about prophecies previously made about Timothy. Now, if I'm being completely honest, we don't know exactly what he's referring to here. Paul and Timothy have a long History. So it might be that, that Paul himself had prophesied over over Timothy and said, Timothy, I think one of these days you're gonna be a great pastor. We know that Timothy grew up uh, in a godly household with his grandmother and his mother. Maybe maybe they had spoken into his life about what they believed God was going to do for him. But it could be as simply as a church had recognized Timothy's gifts and it, and it set him apart. Um, For instance, I I don't have this in your in uh, your notes. It's not on the screen. If you want to turn to Acts 13, you can. If not, you can just listen. Um, And what we see in Acts 13. is we're told, the church at Antioch in, in this church, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch and Saul. And we're told as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. This is the church at Antioch commissioning Paul and Barnabas to the gospel ministry. This would be as close as we have in, in Baptist life. This would be this church ordaining them to the gospel ministry. And so it could be simply that Paul's referring to Timothy saying, uh, remember that you were were set apart, you were ordained for this ministry. And as you recall that, that you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Now remember back in verse 5 in chapter 1, Paul says, Paul's writing Timothy, he says, now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So he's echoing that, not talking about just their teaching, but talking about Timothy's life. Fight the good faith, fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Now Paul reminds Timothy here, That that keeping the gospel central in our lives is a fight. Because if you haven't noticed, there's a whole lot of things that will vie for your attention and your affections. And it's so easy for us as believers to get distracted by other things. This is why the writer of Hebrews, I believe it's in Hebrews chapter 2, talks about the danger of drifting because if we try to coast through the Christian life, generally speaking, we don't coast toward Christ. We're not going to drift towards Christ. We're going to drift away from Him. It takes a conscious effort to remain focused on the things of God. A couple of places Paul says it like this. Ephesians 6.12. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil and spiritual forces in the heavens. See, Paul reminds this church at Ephesus, the same church that Timothy's now pastoring, that, that there's things going on in the spiritual realm that we can't see. But that there is this constant spiritual battle happening. And we know that in Being raised from the dead, Christ defeated the powers of sin and death once for all. And yet until the day where where death is finally put to death, evil will continue to fight. And sin is still very real in the lives of believers because we are not perfected yet. And so I think it's helpful for us to, as we're talking about fighting the fight of faith and, and staying focused on the gospel, It's important for us to remember that that, that our struggle is not necessarily against material things. The the temptation is not just to, to gain more money. The temptation is to become focused on money. And make that a little G God in our lives, replacing big G God. In chapter 6, Paul's going to say these same words again to Timothy. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And he's going to use the same language again in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is probably familiar to you. 2 Timothy 4.7. Paul is nearing the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I believe there is an encouragement to Timothy. Follow my example. Not perfectly. I didn't do it perfectly, but I have fought the fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Timothy, you can do this as well. And I believe to each of us he would say the same thing. You can do this in the grace of God, active in your life, you can fight this fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Stay focused on the gospel. We have to stay focused. We have to fight for the gospel in our lives. But we also have to fight for the gospel in our churches. Look at the second half of 19 and verse 20 with me. Paul says, some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Now, what's interesting here, and I love the Christian Standard Bible, I think it's a great translation, but I think they get something wrong here. Um, In studying this week, literally what Paul is saying here is not... um, he says, uh, some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith in, in the CSB. The, the literal Greek here is uh, some have rejected these and have shipwrecked the faith. Not their faith, the faith. Now, now again, keep in mind that he's, he's writing this letter to Timothy, who's pastoring a local church. So... we. Paul's not necessarily saying they've shipwrecked the entire Christian faith for the entire world. But I think what he is saying is these men, by rejecting the truth of the gospel, have shipwrecked the faith of this local church. These men have become focused on something else at the expense of the gospel and the church has followed. Now, as we've said before, it's likely or it's possible that Hymenaeus and Alexander were two elders at the church in Ephesus. Teachers, men in positions of uh, leadership, positions of authority. And by getting off track, by following something else, they've led at least some of the church as a, at large astray. Now we we operate as a congregational body. We, we have elders, we have pastors, we have, pastor, we have deacons. But we, we make decisions about the direction of the, of the church uh, through congregational decisions. So the charge to you then is, do you know the gospel well enough that if I started spouting heresy and false teaching, you'd be able to tell it? I'm not going to test that, by the way. Okay, I have no plans to test that. Let me make that clear. But do we as the people of God know the gospel well enough that we can spot counterfeits? Because clearly the, the, some of the folks in the church in Ephesus didn't. When these elders were able to shipwreck the faith in the local church and take folks Astray. Now, again, we don't have a whole lot of details about what this looked like. Other than as we looked at last week or the week before that Paul saw this coming in Acts uh, 20. He, he warns this church at Ephesus that, that fierce wolves will come in dressed in sheep's clothing and will lead astray. Paul saw it coming and then, sure enough it, it's come to fruition here. Now remember Ephesus is a seaport town. So Paul uses this illustration by saying they've shipwrecked their faith on purpose because folks in this seaport town of Ephesus would be very familiar with the destruction that comes from shipwrecks. It's not just that they were thrown off track. By focusing on something else, they've wrecked their faith. In fact, some commentators saying that that even th- there may have been some folks in the church who had so bought into this that they had missed the true gospel completely and were not, in fact, believers. Perhaps even Hymenaeus and Alexander, men who became elders in this church, were not even believers in the gospel. And yet somehow they became elders. Again, I, I think that... Shows us the high standard to which we should hold those men whom we would call pastors and elders. But then he continues, and we get this really weird statement here, whom I have delivered to Satan. Now, you want to talk about serious discipline, right? I, I, I'm, I'm not going to discipline I'm going to hand him over to Satan. Let that dude take care of him. Now, what exactly is he saying here? I, I, Again, this is weird language and we're probably not going to use this language a whole lot in, in today's um, in today's culture. But we see this again. We see this same language, by the way, in 1 Corinthians five, when Paul is dealing with a man in the uh, church at Corinth who is sleeping with his father's wife. And the, the, the advice that Paul gives to the church is hand him over to Satan. Cast him out of the church. We see this also in Matthew 18, where Jesus gives us this pattern for confronting sin in the lives of believers. What I think is a, is a, has become a pattern should be a pattern for church discipline. First of all, you go to the person. You say, hey, I've noticed this in your life, or you've, you've sinned against me personally. I've noticed these things in your life that aren't quite lining up with what you say you believe. Uh, can we talk about that for a second? If they say, "Yeah, you're right," I'm, you know, that's really something I'm struggling with. You're, you're right; it's it's sin in my life. Then, then Jesus says, "Praise the Lord! You, you've won over your brother." But they might say, as maybe you've heard before, "How how dare you? How dare you judge me? And point point out that sin in my life?" So then Jesus says, "Okay, fine. You take if that happens, then you take two or three others along. Brother, listen, we we care for you deeply." We've noticed these things in your life that are not lining up with with what you say you believe, not lining up as things that should not be in the life of a follower of Christ. And and we just want to lovingly call you to repent, and we're going to walk with you through whatever we need to walk with you through to help get you back on track. Again, if somebody says, hey, you know, you're right, I'm I'm sorry for the way I reacted earlier, praise the Lord, Let's, let's move on. They say, no, absolutely not. There's nothing wrong. You have have no right to to come and call me on, on anything in my life. He says, then you take it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church begging and pleading, please repent, then you treat him, Jesus says, as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Meaning you treat him as one who is not a believer. Why? Because they have not shown fruit in keeping with repentance. Remember, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And in the life of a believer, our lives should be marked by the fruit of repentance when sin is in our lives. So I think that's what we see here. Paul's saying, I've handed them over to Satan. We have removed them from the church. By the way, there was a news story not too long ago that got national attention because a church removed, a local church removed members from its roles. Members who hadn't been there in years. There was an outcry over this. How, how dare they remove me from a membership? Well, have, have you attended? No, I haven't been there in like five years. But, but national news outlets picked pick this up, and, and the church received what I think is a large amount of undue criticism for trying to have a New Testament model of, of the church. We fight for the gospel in our churches. We fight for the purity of the gospel. Does that mean we don't welcome sinners? Of course not. If we didn't welcome sinners, we'd all have to leave. I'd have to lead you out the door, right? We couldn't be here. But as believers who've been forgiven of our sin, let us be passionate about following Christ in our lives individually and in the body of the church. So, so here's the charge. Uh, 2 Timothy 6, 2, 16 and 17. Paul tells Timothy here, avoid irreverent and empty speech. Since those, who engage, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. And their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus, there's, there's him again. And Philetus are among them. In Hebrews 2.1, which I referenced just a minute ago, for this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away from it. Drift can happen in our personal lives as we're distracted by other things. Drift can just as easily happen in the life of a church. We can get focused on doing whatever it takes to fill these pews and miss the gospel in the process. We get so focused on meeting physical needs and not care about spiritual needs that we simply make this world a more comfortable place to go to hell from. So one of the ways that we stay focused on the gospel, this this thing that we fight for in our churches and in our lives Not the only way, but but in this passage, the big one I want to focus on this morning is 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul gives this charge to Timothy. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And we'll talk more about this, obviously, next spring when we get back, when we get into 2 Timothy There, there is no silver bullet to church growth. Just like there's no silver bullet to personal spiritual growth. I believe both of these happen over time. As we're faithful to do things like sharing the gospel. Maybe you share the gospel with somebody and they and they reject it. Outright, I don't want nothing to do with that. What, what do we do with that? Okay? Keep on praying for them. Because can I tell you something? You weren't going to change their heart to begin with. Only God can change their heart. Keep on praying. Keep on sharing. I'm not saying every time you see them, you like sit down with a notebook. Well, let's go through this again. Here's the, the guy. No, but, but but as they experience brokenness, and they will, we, we will. Everybody experiences brokenness in our lives. We can share the truths of the gospel. And here... In this room, week after week, month after month, year after year, as long as God allows me to serve in this role as pastor, my commitment to you and to God is that I will do what 2 Timothy 4.2 commands, preach the word. When it's it's a fun topic, when it's not a fun topic, when I feel like I've, I've studied up and I'm ready to go, when I, when I walk into the pulpit going, wait, I think I know, I think I remembered something I didn't put in my notes. It, it, we're going to continue to preach the word. That's how God forms his people, through the word, through relationships. I'm going to ask owner to come up, but we're, we're going to simply, um, we're just going to sing a, a, a song, an invitation song, Have Thy Own Way. And as we do, if you've not already done so, I want you to take the opportunity as we begin to sing. Put a name on your index card. And as we sing, come and place those. You can fold them in half, place them in the the basket. And week after week, we're going to pray over these names. Asking that God will do what only he can do as we're faithful to do what we've been called to do. But as we share the gospel, he'll save Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the great opportunity that we have to gather together. May we never take that for granted. God, I pray that you will keep us focused on the gospel in our lives and when other things start to creep in that we would be diligent to fight to stay focused on you. That you would not only give us the courage to fight, but you would give us the grace and the strength to fight for the centrality of the gospel in our lives. And just like we do in our lives, will you give us the strength and the courage and the grace and the faith to fight for the centrality of the gospel in our church. That whatever else may come up, we wouldn't be led, uh, we wouldn't get pipe dreams of, of seeing this room filled at the expense of the gospel. We wouldn't be willing to chase some latest, greatest church growth model. We would stay focused on the gospel. Stay focused on your word being preached week in and week out. Trusting that as it is, your word is doing what what only your word can do. Show us how to do that. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.